Paying your subs doesn't have to be an all-day event. You can set up these processes so they run in the background. It's why it's called, you know, the back office work. You know, and, and I see a lot of the guys, you, you mentioned the, you know, the superpower thing. I also see it as the comfort zone. So if you're sitting there going, okay, I should be working on that estimate or, hey, you know, the guys are framing the second floor out there on the Smith job. They're like, oh, I better get out there and check on the Smith job. That's an important job. That's what they enjoy. That's their comfort zone. So we will all run to our comfort zone, given the choice of two things to do, our natural inclination is to go towards something that we're comfortable with. And when the boss shows up on the job site, he's now the expert, too. Welcome to the Skill Stadium. A podcast for the skilled trades. Where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Thank you for tuning in to the Skill Stadium Podcast, episode 130. I'm your host, Keith Williams. Every two weeks, we feature professionals in the skill trades, hiring managers, business owners, educators, influencers, giving real-world advice, telling it like it is with no filter. Can you please do me a favor? If you enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star rating, write a review, write one thing you enjoyed about it, make sure you share the podcast, let folks know about it. That would really mean the world to me. Today, we have a great show for you. My guest today, was born in Cold Cut, Minnesota. Okay. I probably butchered the name. Cloquet. Cloquet. I knew I messed that up. Cloquet. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Not many people are from Cloquet, so there's only a handful of us that have to know how to say it. Yes. Cloquet, Minnesota. It's a small town, and he moved to Florida at the age of 12, graduated from the University of Florida School of Building Construction. What makes my guests good at what they do is passion for business and their love building process. My guest's mantra is that uh, he uses the mantra R-I-F-E-I-L, Relent Improvement for everything in life. I like that. My guest is most proud of the accomplishment of building a 27 mile square foot home. During my guest's free time, they, he enjoys walking, skiing, sailboat racing, and something interesting about my guest. My guest plans to live to 120. Please welcome Dwayne Barney to the Skill Stadium Podcast. Dwayne, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, Keith. Thank you. Dwayne, I have to ask you about living to 120. 120. Have you ever? Yeah, I, I love that. Um, have you ever had a chance to talk to people who are older up in years and have they given you any advice? on what makes them live long and, and also remain active. Well, the remaining active part, I think, is the key. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of videos I've, and I've talked to a lot of people that are up in age. Uh, obviously, as our parents get older, you know, you get to have conversations you never had. Um, but I do believe that staying active in one form or another really produces longevity, uh, which is part of the reason I don't plan on retiring. I plan on trying to find a way to stay active mentally and physically as long as I possibly can. Because, I, you know, the, what we see is the traditional forms of retirement, you know, well, I'm going to move to Florida and, and go for the rest of my life. To me, that just seems like a slow death. Like that's just a really good way to go slowly. And I don't want to go slowly. I, I, I want to die quickly. Um, I want to live a full life right to the end and then done. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I work out in the gym and I was talking to some older gentlemen who I see in the gym who are working out and staying active. And, you know, they gave me some great advice. It was pretty simple advice. They said, uh, stay away from alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, and women. And um, I found that pretty interesting. And I guess they meant adultery, obviously. <laughs> so, let, let, let's hope so, that's the case. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was saying, you know. <laughs> but, but I said, hey, you know, if this guy, you know, I see this guy 
guy, I see some of these guys, they're moving around, they're active. And that was the key thing. They were active, they were in good shape, and they looked like they had purpose in their life. They didn't look like guys who were just sitting on a beach, taking it easy. They came in, they looked like they had things to do in their community. And so I believe that you're hitting on something, especially if you talk to older people. So I, I hope you make it to 120. Can't say it. I'll be around. I, I hope. <laughs> You know, but got to set a goal. Got I, I I don't know. I read someplace that the human body could make it to 120. We just don't. I'm like, well, that seems like a reasonable goal. Then why don't I go for that goal? Which means I'm just I just hit middle age. <laughs> so I, you know, it's like, hey, you're gonna restart your career at 60. Like, why not? I got 60 years to go. Like, I got plenty of time. Like, let's go for I it. So that didn't bother me a bit. So yeah, you mentioned purpose, and I do think purpose has a lot to do with it. And I think that's why you know you know the slow death of retirement isn't good for people because what's your purpose? To sweep out the garage today like that, that that's not motivating enough to get up for not for me anyway Speaking with- so having a purpose and having a reason to get up and, and, and to get out to be active i think is so important let's start off with this what's a good day for you because i think that's important um what's a good day for you i, I ask this because so many people i believe you're in control of your of, of your life what you do and, and having a good day versus having a bad day but i'm curious what do you define as being a good day uh my good day is well my every day starts with a workout if i can possibly get it unless I'm traveling, but uh, I always try to get my workout in every day. It really gets me going in the morning and helps me both relax and to focus and get ready. Uh, and I usually spend, you know, the early parts of my day being productive in some form. I like to have all my meetings in the morning. Uh, if I got all scheduled, I try to schedule everything in the morning. I'm sharpest then, so I'm as effective as I can be first thing in the morning. So I really try to focus then. And then I like to kind of split out my afternoons. I literally block out two hours of my afternoon, two to three hours, depending on the day, for my own personal time. Now, a lot of times that's just for scheduling personal events, just for getting personal stuff on. You know, maybe it's a doctor's appointment. Maybe it's just catching up on some of my bookkeeping, paying some bills, just some personal time so I can get keep my life in order. I also take that time to try and go out for another walk, grab the dog, go for a couple of miles, quick walk, just to kind of clear my head, get away from the screen. And then I usually try to go back to work. You know, I, I don't like ending my day without clearing out the inbox because then that weighs on me. You know, it's sure. like, okay, let me see what's out there, but let me clear it all up. And then by five o'clock, I try to shut it all down. Okay. Uh, Actually, I've got my phone set up. My cell phone is set up. So if you try to call me after five, it's going to go direct to voicemail. It doesn't even ring. <laughs> so I go home. You know, even though I work from home, I, I'm, I'm right here all day. I have my life set up. So at five o'clock, I go home and that phone won't ring again until nine o'clock. Tomorrow morning. That's good. You have a process. So I try to package the whole thing together so I can get my work done and live my life. No, that's so important. I think that having that process, seems like you have a process in place because you have a project management background. Uh, speaking of which, yes. let, let, let's just tell people what you do, because I think that'll help people to understand where you're coming from. So tell us what you do, your how you define your profession and how you define yourself from a professional. Okay. Leader. My current my current role is I serve as a business coach, uh, what I call fractional COO for uh, construction company. And I work at all different levels. Some guys are, you know, pretty close to startup. I've got one client who's been in business for 50 years. So it's all level, but I help them with the business operation, help them get their business either set up or revise their operation. So it's running at its optimal level. Mm-hmm. And I have found that, and, and I experienced it myself, and I found that most builders and remodelers struggle with this aspect of the work. Yes. If, if you want them to go out and build something, they're masters at their skills. Mm-hmm. They're master at their trade. They could build anything. They could take a cardboard box, turn it into a home. It's unbelievable what they can do from the skills stamp. And then they go out and say, I, I need to turn this into a business. Like, I, I, you know, I could really probably make some good money if I, I turn this into a business. And then they start their business and realize it's a whole new skill set. And that's where a lot of small businesses fail, not in their ability 
ability to perform the task in their abilities to run the business. Yeah. And that's where I like to step in because I think so many builders could be so more, so, so much more successful if they had a better handle on the business skills, how to set up systems, how to get the processes running so there it's not taking till 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I know so many guys who will end their day at 6, 7 o'clock in the evening, go home, have dinner, put the kids to bed, get back behind the desk at 9 o'clock at night, work until midnight, trying to catch up on that back office, and then start it again at 6 o'clock in the morning. They're exhausted. Yeah. This is this is not the dream. The dream was to make more money and have the time to spend it with your family. And, and they're bogged down in the business. So I try to help them get out of that, that quandary of having the business run them and get them back to running the business. Dwayne, you know how I see it? I see it as people's superpower. Their superpower is actually doing the work, what they enjoy doing. But no matter what you're doing in work, there's some things you're just not going to like. There's some things you're going to really enjoy. That's just life. <laughs> you know, right. and right. if you focus on your superpower, you're going to do well. Like I'll, I'm great at sales. I don't like administration work, right? And that's like any salesperson. So if I do more admin, that doesn't help me. So it's the same thing with those guys I would imagine that you're working with. They probably hate that other stuff that you kind of help them manage. Either you guide them, I would assume you guide them either to outsourcing it or creating a process in which it doesn't take up too much of their time. Like it's a minimum, minimizes their time. Am I correct in saying that? that, that, that that's exactly right. Okay. Um, and they don't like doing the work. I mean, and I get it. I mean, who really like, you know, if, if you're used to being in the field, swinging a hammer, you know, being out there with, you know, on the job site, who likes sitting behind a desk, yeah. reading a spreadsheet, doing payroll? Like yeah. nobody gets up in the morning and you go, man, I, I get to do payroll today. This is going to be one freaking awesome day. It, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So setting up a system so payroll gets done yeah. and you know, it's, it's, it, yes, it's got to get done. It's going to take a little bit of your time. Somebody has to sign the checks. You are the boss. Yeah. It's your money. You better check it. But it doesn't have to be an all day event. Yeah. Paying your subs doesn't have to be an all day event. You can set up these processes so they run in the background. It's it's why it's called, you know, the back office work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I see a lot of the guys, you, you mentioned the, you know, the, the superpower thing. I also see it as the comfort zone. So if you're sitting there going, okay, I should be working on that estimate or, hey, you know, the guys are framing the second floor out there on the Smith job. They're like, oh, I, I, I better get out there and check on the Smith job. That's an important job. That's what they enjoy. That's their comfort zone. So we will all run to our comfort yes. zone. Given the choice of two things to do, our natural inclination is to go towards something that works. Yeah. And when the boss shows up on the job site, he's now the expert too. So now it's a comfort zone and you get to play expert. Who doesn't love that? No, that makes that makes, And that's why a lot of the business work just doesn't get done. You're just like, oh, give me a choice. And you are actually- I'm, I'm going to go out there with the frame. And the thing is, you're seeing better results because when you're doing the things that you're good at, you're always going to see the results. And so you're always going to push and capitalize on where you're getting the best results. But you're also right. hurting yourself if you're not taking care of that back end stuff. That comes back and that can bite you in the butt if you're not careful. It's like taxes. Nobody, nobody looks forward to doing their taxes. That's why we hire accountants. <laughs> that's, why, right. that's why accountants stay employed. <laughs> yeah, even if you're getting a refund, you don't like doing the taxes. Exactly. It's just painful gathering all that stuff up together, getting all the, yeah, no, it's like, yeah, I'm getting a refund, but it's still not yeah. fun. I also want to emphasize, you know, what's so important about the work that you do is that, you know what makes McDonald's a successful business is their process and system. All you're paying for when you buy a franchise at McDonald's is their process. That's all. They make burgers That's like it. everybody else. So what you're doing is you're creating a process and system that just runs itself. And that is a tremendous amount of value. It also is going to increase the value of those companies. I would imagine that's something you're communicating with them, hopefully. And I'm sure they I'm sure they start figuring that out as they start working. Oh, yeah. No, I know. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. That's that's the franchise model. That's why people pay for a franchise. It's for those processes. Somebody else has already worked out the marketing techniques, the sales techniques, the, you know, the invoicing, the payroll, everything it takes to run that business. That's all been worked out when you buy a franchise. 
franchise that's handed to you. Yeah. When you decide you're going to go out on your own and you hang out a shingle one day and say, I'm going to start my own business, you're now building that business. You have to build all of those processes. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately for builders, it's not unlike building a house. You got to start with a foundation. There's a certain, you don't start with the roof. You know, yeah. you just, <laughs> there's a certain way you got to go at it. Um, and building a business is the exact same thing. And you've got to keep your eye on all the balls at all the same time. And when the guys are framing, they're thinking about where the toilet's going to go so they don't put a beam right there under the drain. Because at that point, something's going to have to move. Uh, you can't run the beam, you can't run the drain pipe right through the beam. So it's about keeping all of that in mind as you're building that business. And like I said, it's just like building a house, but it is a different skill set. Definitely. Dwayne, let's take you down a trip down memory lane. Um, I understand that your grandfather introduced you to construction. Um, first of all, I think it's wonderful if you have a, an opportunity to be around your grandfather at any point, because everybody's not blessed with that opportunity. Uh, how much of an influence did he have on your career choice? And what did you learn from him? Um, I learned that he was a tough old man. That's one thing I learned quickly. Uh, I was about 12 when I started working with him. Uh, he, he's he been a builder developer his entire life. And uh, when we moved to Florida, he, we, uh, he was developing a piece of property that my father joined in on. And so I, it was just around us. I mean, I just, then I, then I kind of grew up with it. And uh, because he had construction background and my father didn't, uh, he kind of led all the construction efforts. And, but we were out there every day, you know, standing in the mud, pouring concrete, framing, drywall, whatever it was. So I got a real exposure to all the different rays. And I did find that I enjoyed, I enjoyed building stuff. Like there was a lot of satisfaction when you could stand back and look at it at the end of the day, or even two years later. I, I would probably drive by some of that stuff still today and look at it and go, yeah, I built that. Now, you know, I was a 12 year old kid, but I'm still going to say, yeah, I built that. Because I was involved and we all kind of do that a bit. And there's a, there's a, for me, there's a true enjoyment and a, and a lot of value in, in doing that and being involved in that process. And actually it's why I started out in college going the mechanical engineering route, thinking, okay, I like to build things and mechanical engineering sounds like what I would want to do. And then I realized it was a lot more on the design side. And I was like, oh no, I, I'm, I don't want to be sitting behind a drafting table designing gears and whatever they actually do. And that's when I jumped ship and uh, joined the uh, School of Building Construction at the University of Florida. I didn't even know what existed. I didn't even know you could agree in it. And uh, I changed careers and I went that route. And I've been I've been in construction ever since. That's what led me into my commercial career and then uh, on, on down the road. Did you, um, you know, you started in this when you were 12 with your grandfather. I, I know Florida is a place that has been growing for years. I would imagine you must have been witnessing a lot of growth and changes. And I'm not sure what part of Florida, because Florida obviously is a big state, but do you, do you see any of the work that you've done maybe today? I know that's a stretch of a question, but uh, what did you see in terms of the growth during that period from when you just grew up as a boy to, you know, years down the road going to college? Uh, you must have seen a lot of change. Oh, it's 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 changed dramatically. I mean, most people have heard of the villages, which wasn't that far from me where I grew up. And growing up, the villages was uh, orange groves as far as the eye could see. I remember the little town that was there it was actually a seed trap. We all knew about it. So if we were headed down to Orlando, we knew to slow down at Lady yeah. Lake because uh, the cops sat at the top of the hill and they pick you off one by one. <laughs> now you wouldn't even know it. You can't even find Lady Lake. And, and what is in my memory of what was there, the villages has taken over counties and, and, and all those orange groves are gone. And the whole area looks so much different. I, I can barely get around, you know, under just, you know, how you get used to town and, you know, you can almost travel yeah. anywhere. Yeah. I, I can barely travel anywhere when I'm down there because it's all changed. It's all changed so dramatically. It, it is unbelievable. It's one of the challenges Florida's had in general. Um, you know, the Northeast, where I live now, we grew slowly here. So the infrastructure grew with it. But Florida grew so dramatically, they had a big challenge keeping up with the infrastructure for the growth. You know, because they needed all, you know, they needed power, sewer, waters, roads, drainage, bridges. All this stuff needed to be built to support this growth along with a home. Where here in the Northeast, we kind of did it slowly. Yes. And, and down there, it was it was, it was was a dramatic change on so many levels. I can imagine. Now, you started in commercial construction and then you switched to residential. 
what was that transition like? Uh, it was dramatic. And it was part of the reason I went commercial. I enjoyed commercial work. Uh, it's in a lot of ways, it's it's simpler from a management standpoint because the developers make all of their decisions based on a business decision. You know, it's like, well, do you want to upgrade the tile in the, you know, or the marble in the lobby? You know, they'd go back to their leasing group and say, can we get a higher rent if we do that? And they'd like, no. Nope. They're like, well, then we're not upgrading. Okay, yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> decision made. You know, it was it was here dollars and cents. Can I get a higher ROA? Is this going to improve the value of the property? Can I raise my rent? If the answer was no, well, then we're not doing it. Um, so the businesses, the, the decisions on those projects were very black and white, cut and dried. It either worked or didn't work. Residential, whole new game. You're in their home. It's very emotional. You know, it's like, we've got to get paint to cut to match Susie's doll. Like, <laughs> I don't care. I just want to know what color you want to paint the wall already. But having to have to empathize with their situation and understand that this is their home and that this is this is really important from that standpoint. That was a complete change in how you run that business. It was, a, it, the, the decisions were just so much more emotional. Yeah, that can be a good where, thing too. That can be a good thing. People oh yeah, no, no. It, pretty I, quick on emotion. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't. It was just, it was a different way of making a decision um, where, you know, you had to sit there and compare colors to the doll dress. And I was like, oh, just tell me what color. Like, I really, I, I need to get the wall painted. Yeah. I, you know, but it was like, oh, it doesn't quite match. And it's, you know, it's like, oh my goodness. Test your you know, patience. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, you have to be a lot more patient. Yeah. The commercial guys, they give you a decision. It's on, they move on. Yeah. It, it was it was fairly easy, but because it's their home, you have to approach it with a different mindset. Now, now if it's a new home and they want to be in it in a certain time frame, I bet they start making those decisions pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, especially if you tell them, hey, this, hey, the longer you take to make this decision, the longer it's going to take for you to get in your home. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you got to find the ways to motivate them. Definitely. Uh, some people are motivated in one direction, you know. Other people are literally by that point they've uh, they're they're just running out of money. Yeah, you know, it's like okay, we spent everything we've got on this. It's like, well, then stop waving your hands around saying, "Hey, I was thinking about." No, that's gonna cost you a thousand dollars. You don't have a thousand dollars. Just stop. let's finish. Yeah. So, how did your experience working with tradespeople help you on the residential side and coaching side? So, you've worked with with tradespeople and, and you worked in a trade. How did that help you in terms of you know you know uh, you know as a tradesperson, you sort of know what's going on. You know the work that's yeah. getting done. How did that experience help you when you were working with residential customers, like customers who are probably challenging taking decision, and also on the coaching side? Because now when you're giving, talking to these businesses and giving them advice, you're speaking from, you're speaking their language. You've been in the business. Right, right. And that's, you know, that's a lot of it is, you know, I've been in the trades. I've been out in the field. You know, I've, I've spent many, many years, boots on, swinging a hammer. Yes. You know, I, I, you know, I'm old enough. I predate nail guns. So we had hammer and we actually put nails in with it. Uh, uh, nail guns were a whole, a whole new uh, revolution in the business. Crazy. But when I'm working with business owners now, you're, you're absolutely right. I know the language. Every industry has a language. We all, you know, doc, you know, you doctors, they, they, they say all this stuff and I just sit there, I glaze over. I'm like, I don't know what they said. Am I sick? Like, just tell me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. And we all have our own language. And the nice thing is when I'm working with builders and remodelers, most of these guys have also come from meals. Yes. You know, they've been, they've been in years with boots on. They know that side of the industry hands down. So I can really relate to them. And if they start, you know, if we have a conversation and they're drifting off into, you know, construction speed, I don't even notice it because I understand everything they're saying. I get it. And I've talked to, I've talked to clients who have had, you know, just business coaches, which I, I'm not opposed to. And they said that was one of the challenges they've had. They would start drifting into construction terms and the coach would just glaze over going, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, and that made, you know, that made the business owner uncomfortable. Like you don't know my business. Mm -hmm, I agree. So I, you know, I get these guys. I know their business. I know exactly what they're going through. I've done the startup thing. I built my business to a much larger uh, entity where I've got employee systems and processes. And I have worked for large construction companies that have fantastic systems in place. And I've helped them improve those systems. So I really, 
really get it across the spectrum. And so we can really have a solid conversation from that state. So one of the things I'm really curious about, you know, particularly, I always like to kind of get a, um, I call um, a sense of what's going on in the industry, test, testing the temperature, you could say. What are the top challenges you're seeing from business owners in the steel trades? What are they telling you? What are the challenges they're facing? Uh, biggest issue out there, bar none, is they can't find mm-hmm. Just literally, we can't find people. And part of that challenge does extend all the way back to the crowd in 08. Sure. Um, prior to 08, construction companies really didn't have a problem finding people. The industry kind of grew people up through their life cycle, and you could always seem to find people. It was no big deal. When 08 hit, construction stopped across the board. And in a lot of areas, it stopped for up to 10 years. As a result of that, we didn't have anybody in the pipeline. Yeah. All these kids went off to their cubicle jobs, or they were coding, or doing whatever the kids did. And I don't blame them, because there was no construction work to get. They needed jobs, and so they went where the jobs were. Now, we don't have that pipeline. Mm-hmm. None of these kids came up through the industry. The guys that would normally have been in the industry now for, you know, 15 plus years and ready to start their own business, they're not there. Mm-hmm. The carpenters, the older carpenters, like if you talk to almost any builder remodel, you're going to find out that their good guys are all aging out. They're all in their late 50s, early 60s, and they keep staring at it going, I don't know, I got them for maybe five more years? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how long can that rabbit keep going? You know, and they need them because there's nobody coming behind. Yeah. And this is the big challenge. So even if they find people today that are, that are willing to come into the trades, come into the industry, they come in with zero skill or minimal skill. And a lot of this all goes back to that crash in 08 where we we just stopped filling the pipeline. Yeah. I also wonder one of the things that I always like to touch on is that I, I think that one of the ways that we can help solve for this is uh, targeting underrepresented groups, women, minorities. Uh, I also believe people who are working poor, like people who are working retail who are not making a living wage. Are, are you seeing that happen more? I'm always curious um, because I always feel like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing expecting it to solve. So I'm always of the mindset where wherever talent is, I'm going to go, even if it doesn't represent what we typically see in the skill trade, because you know, we know just based on the numbers, there are not a lot of minority representation. There are not a lot of women. So I always feel like hmm, this this is a possible um, solution to the challenge. How do we get maybe, how do we get business owners to maybe understand that? Or are they already doing that? And, and and also still, you know, you know, how do we get them to start looking in different places? Because I think that that could be a solution. Yeah, a lot of them are looking in different places. And, and like I was saying before is prior to 08, most small businesses in particular didn't have to do training. They just hired people and kind of got them to a to their style of business. And training was kind of like organic. Like you just hung around long enough and you learned. There was no formal training. So for any business owners now turning around, they're looking at people going, what skills do you have? And they're like, I don't know. I, I just need a job. They're like, well, I, I need skills. And the business owners are beginning to realize what they need to start doing is providing a regimented training program. Here is how you do that, whether it's outside of the house are or in a lot of cases. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Are you coaching them yes. on that? Okay. Right. Yeah, because one of, the, one of the key ways I see in training that is these guys that are aging out. And we talked about living to be 120. Uh, I'll tie all this together here in a second. So you've got these guys, a lot of them have been in construction their entire career. They're aging out. They're they're in their early 60s. They got skills. A lot of these guys don't have a strong retirement program at all. But what I'm encouraging is these guys are now your training crew. They're out on the jobs. They can be your eyes and ears. They've got the skills. They, they can keep you out of trouble, but they can also train the young guys. So use them. And maybe that means they're not climbing the rafters anymore. They're 65. They're 67. They're pushing 70. Don't expect them to climb in the round. <laughs> yeah. that's the, that's the, the young kids will do it. Yeah. They're going to have fun doing it. But he can say, these guys can still earn a living. They can still be productive. They can still have an influence on the industry and they can still make a retirement living because, you know, they, you know, give them in there for four hours a day if you if that's what they want to give. But utilize those skills as long as you can. Maybe not swinging a hammer anymore, but use it for the training to help bring these young people in. And I think the other part of it is most people that we've got to 
bringing an awareness to the community as a whole. Most people, when you say construction, the thought that comes into everybody's head is all these guys are standing, you know, as if you're driving by on your car, you see yeah. a, a construction yeah, site. Yeah, yeah. Well, that construction site is construction. It's a bunch of people standing around in heavy coats because it's cold out. They got their boots on and they're standing in a, in a puddle of water because it's been raining for three days. You're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I get that. But the side they don't see is that construction is also a multi-billion dollar industry. So working in construction can be a project manager in the office. You can be, you know, you you can, there's a lot of computer work in construction now associated with scheduling and uh, what's called BIM, um, building information management. It's all computer-aided uh, design, all computer-related stuff. There's, you know, of course we have accounting departments. We've got HR departments. We're businesses. All the elements that any other business had. So being in construction doesn't necessarily mean you're standing out on the job site boots on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more to the industry and we need to educate the public on this so they understand that what does it mean to be in construction? Can you share some resources for people who are doing research and want to learn more about this? Like what, what are some websites or organizations they can check out to learn more? Uh, most most areas now have trade schools. So if, if you're looking to do anything specific, uh, and when I say specific, some of it is very skilled when you get into HVAC, plumbing, electrical, they require independent licenses. Uh, there's a lot of trade schools for that. And some of, you know, there are carpentry trade schools. You can go to the trade school to learn that. Or, you know, again, like I said, there's a lot, there's a lot of construction companies looking for work, looking for people to help them out and they'll help you. They'll help train you while they're paying you to get some work done. I, I got another uh, But if you're looking, if you have a desire in a certain area, if you're like, I think that electrical stuff would be pretty cool and other people go, oh, get me near electrical. Uh, but there's a lot of good trade schools and it's a really good way. You go into the trade schools and you start working for an electrical firm, you're going to earn your way into, you know, through your apprenticeship and into your licensure. And, th- and this is where all the guys go and eventually become small business owners if that's your dream. Definitely. I, I want to throw something out there to you. Tell me if you're seeing this. Uh, I had, I've interviewed uh, a number of business owners. And one of the things I always ask them, would you be willing to let people come and do a drive along? Like just end a day on the job. And I would say 99% of the people I've asked said yes, even encouraged it. What are you seeing? Are you seeing this? Because again, I want to, I always look for trends, right? I always look for well, what's going on in the industry. That's why I'm interviewing folks. And so I want to right, speak because right. I know you talk to a lot of business owners. Have you heard business owners who are willing to do that? Are you seeing that? I haven't seen it specifically, and I, but I don't know any business owner who wouldn't be willing to do that. Okay. Um, one of the biggest challenges that I, I hear a lot out there is guys come in, they interview, you know, they say they're excited and then they don't show up. Wow, I never understood that. They just don't show up. Like, and, you know, finally, oh, they're like, you know, they get a hold of them like three days later and go, oh yeah, yeah, I, I lost my cell phone. <laughs> like, right. what? Like, you know, and, 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 I mean, I've literally had business owners going, do you know how many people lose their cell phones like the day after the interview? Yeah. Like, he said, it's a, it, it's a crazy phenomenon. He goes, like, somehow cell phones just get sucked out of their hand after after they get hired. Yeah. And they just, they, these guys just don't come back or, they, or maybe they'll come in for two or three days and, and they're gone for three weeks and you're like, were you coming back to work? Yeah. So uh, most of, most business owners are going to want to do anything they can to really show them what's involved in the, in the work, what they would be expected to do, what they can expect when they show up to work because they want people to understand what the industry is about, like what's involved in it. And hopefully they're going to show up on day two as well. And not use so, cell phone. It's, <laughs> right, right. I've seen young people, their phones are attached to them. That's such a low. Right, that's right. Yeah, you know, you know they didn't lose their phone. They, yeah, but that's the excuse that a lot of these guys are telling me this. Wow. Yeah, one more guy lost his phone. <laughs> after the interview. Oh you know, it's like, you know, my dog ate the homework. Look, look, we've heard that one. <laughs> Got to come up with something better. Like, it, it's not it's not working on me anymore. Definitely. Final question, Dwayne. I, I'm enjoying this. Uh, I, I could go on. I could go on and on with you. We're going to probably have to have a second. A, a, a Dwayne Barney interview, too. <laughs> the second, the uh, the second version. Uh, but listen, last question. If you had a 
chance to meet yourself in 2033 because we know you're going to be around. You're living to 120, right. my friend. It's getting warmed up at that yeah. point. Yeah. This is still middle age for you. What would you ask yourself? What would you want to know? You're obviously 10 years wiser. Really to look back and go, did I did I make the efforts? Did I do the work to influence the industry? The work that I put it on? Did I leave any stones unturned? Because I really want to try to help the small business owners to help the industry as a whole. As an industry, we're not looked highly upon. And one of my, uh, the sadder parts of being in the industry for me, it's not well respected. So, you know, I want to kind of improve that. I've always wanted to improve it. I, I like to tell the story that uh, I, I heard back when I started my first business, uh, shortly after I started it, I didn't realize we had such a bad image. And they said that the consumers rated, uh, the two lowest rated industries by consumers were used car salesmen and then remodelers. I was like, okay, yeah. I've, I've entered the bottom of the market. This is nice. And, and now I blame CarMax because CarMax came in, cleaned up the used car business. I'm like, wow, great. Now, where are we? Like, now, now I'm really at the bottom. So, and it's mainly the business because I haven't met a remodeler or a builder out there who doesn't have a heart of soul. They will, they will work as hard as they possibly can. They want to satisfy the customer to no end. They love what they do. So projects go wrong because they don't have the business skills. They, they get caught up in the finances and they don't manage their money well. They're not managing their contract well. That's where they're failing it. It's not on their skills as builders. And I think so many more would be far more successful than they are if they took the time out and the energy to learn that. And that's what I want to do. So if I'm going to look back at myself today, I just, I just, I want to believe I'm doing everything I can, but I'm going to ask myself, did you really? Were you out there really making the impact to help the industry and to change the industry? Because I really believe this is our manufacturing set. You know, everybody says, oh, we're going to bring back, we're going to bring back all of our industries. I get it. I think we should, but they're not coming back with jobs. Most of them are coming back with robots. So, you know, the, the one failed jobs of, you know, I, I work down at the local factory. Those days are gone, no matter what we do. Even if we bring back all of our industries, the only way we're going to bring them back cost effectively is to bring them back with robotics. So the, where, are, where are the jobs? You are not putting a robot underneath a sink to fix a leak. It's, it's not happening, hopefully not in my lifetime, because I, you know, we still need something fixed. We need people to do this. And this is where construction is going to be our new manufacturing sector. There is plenty of work out there. People still need homes. We haven't been able to do a great job of getting robots up on the roof and nail down plywood. Yeah. Maybe someday, you know, yeah. but we're not there yet. So, you know, if you're looking for a job, this is where it is. Yeah. I also think it's people's comfort zone because you got to think the consumer right now hasn't grown up with robots that had to work for them. There are most people, I wouldn't be comfortable with it any more than, you know, my generation, your generation, we wouldn't be comfortable with a car driving us wherever we want to go. Right, but right. Our grandkids, that'll be normal for them. But for us, we'd be terrified. So right. I could, you know, right. it'll be years before we probably won't be around when they're robot building people's houses because it's it's not cost effective. You can't scale that, which is what you would need to right. do in order to have plumbing. You'd have to have another technology that transports the robot, communicates with the very, very, very expensive. <laughs> right. A a AI is going to have to get really good before it actually works. Yeah. But. And, and the other thing we have right now too is, is we've got, I mean, the baby boom, which I'm part of, I'm at the back end of the baby boom, but the baby boom is aging out and retiring, which is also leaving a huge inventory of homes, oh, yeah. single family homes on the market that, you know, just like folks, the houses are aging out. That's true. They need to be remodeled. They need to be updated for the next generation. And a lot of them are in nice neighborhoods, close in proximities where people want to live, but the houses are tired. Definitely. And we have a huge inventory of existing homes. Definitely. And, in a, in a, you know, a lot of the big cities, we have reached the limit, uh, the commuting limit. Mm -hmm. Like the suburbs grew out as far as they could yep. to the point where everybody said, you know what? It takes me an hour and a half to get to work. Oh, yeah. No, I'm done with that. Nah, I hear you. So we can't, we can't keep expanding the suburbs to get into the city. So that expansion is going to kind of end, which is somewhat changing with the whole, you know, work from home COVID thing where you, you know, you can work from upstate New York and, you know, dial, dial it in basically and go to work. But so a lot of these social things are changing. And I think, you know, there's a huge opportunity in the industry not to necessarily look at new homes. We will 
will always need new homes. Some areas will always be growing, but there is a huge inventory of existing homes oh, yeah. that need to be upgraded, need to be, you know, to meet our lifestyle, to meet our expectations today. You know, these houses have to be fixed up and they're great homes. Mm -hmm. no, I hear you. It just, we, we need the people to do it. Definitely. Well, Dwayne, I appreciate your time. Can you please share how people can find you? Uh, finding me is, I tried to make it as easy as possible. Just check me out on LinkedIn. Um, everything you want to know about me is, is there. If you want to reach me directly, my email is Dwayne at businessblueprintinc.com. Uh, but again, LinkedIn is where I am. I post on there regularly. Uh, you can kill a bunch of time just going back and looking at my old videos if you want to waste Saturday, rainy Saturday afternoon. Uh, it's all there. So that's, uh, that, that's my social media platform of choice. Excellent. Well, we'll also have your information in the notes on uh, of the podcast. So folks, make sure you check that out. Dwayne, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Continued success and um, wish you all the success in the world. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you, Keith. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.